It's This Week in Bourbon, the podcast every single week where Kenny and Ryan go over what's happening in the world and news of bourbon. And here's your headlines for the week of October 29th, 2021. Union workers have agreed to a deal with Heaven Hill, which settles the strike. Discus has filed a 66-page report to the U.S. government on exports and trade issues. And Blue Run Spirits launches their first four-year-old high-rise bourbon distilled by Jim Rutledge. But before we get started, here's a word from our partners. And they're off for another Gift 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of This Week in Bourbon. Kenny and Ryan here for you, and I am coming from a location that is outside of my typical recording studio in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm actually in Boston this week, hanging out at a Moxie Hotel, and i tell you what, Ryan, if I had the choice, I don't know if I'd stay at a Moxie again if I needed to record a podcast, but they have very, they've been so accommodating to me. Yeah. I mean, but you have great decor in your studio there. You got neon lights and all this great fancy stuff. I if love it. If people could see it, they might appreciate it. But it it's funny. I remember, here's the thing, Ryan. It's like, we have picked. Looks like Saved by the Bell there. <laughs> it, well, it does look like behind me. <laughs> but it, it's funny. It's like, so over the years, like our quality has gotten consistently better. And I've paid so much attention to the listener experience because that's what I care about. And so I remember when I when I came in my room last night, 
I walked in and like the ceilings are concrete, the walls are concrete, the floor is concrete. And you could just talk to yourself and you could hear the echo in the room. And I just said, like, there's no way this is going to work. And so I, I went down the desk and I was like, by any chance, do you have a conference room I can use to do a podcast recording? And they're like, sure, I can do that. And we'll even turn off because they, I mean, it's a Moxie hotel. So there's like house music going on at all hours of the day on every single floor. And so they even like turned off the music on the third floor for me to record this. So I, I do really appreciate that. It's a, uh, it's very nice of them. Well, I'm glad they pulled her. Knowing you, you probably would start taping like your comforter to the walls and trying to make noise reduction somehow. Uh, you, so you're not glad they accommodate. You're not joking. So there's actually an air return in the room, and I was folding up towels to try to figure out like how do I cover up this air return in the room so it doesn't make any any sound. So <laughs> oh, I know I went all out, but you want to go ahead and let's uh, start hitting with some bourbon news here. Yeah. All right. So the first headline of the week is that after a six week long strike, it's come to an end and Saturday evening union workers voted to accept the new contract with Heaven Hill Distillery. So United Food and Commercial Workers at Local 23D representing 420 Heaven Hill workers and over 25,000 workers total in the Commonwealth agreed to a new five year contract with the Barstown Distillery. Now, several workers have uh, gone on record and actually told reporters that the majority of the members rejected the proposal, but it only takes 34% that was needed to accept the contract. So the tentative agreement was announced on Friday where they said they received the full recommendation and the negotiating committee. Um, however, Bobby Stein went on record. He's a 40-year veteran. Heaven Hill said that many voted to go back to work because they feared of being replaced. And Heaven Hill Brands released a statement on Saturday's vote that ended the strike saying that they are grateful to learn that they are, they have ratified the new five-year contract and they look forward to welcoming the new team members back as they transition back to normal operations. Now, honestly, I think we're all happy that the, uh, the strike is over, but I kind of thought that at the very beginning when they said, you know, Heaven Hill said like, we're just going to go ahead and find external workers. It actually should also note that like last week is when we said this. And that means our news lasted less than like a day from when it actually went live. But I'm just kind of glad the strike's over and we can kind of uh, move forward with it a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, negotiations are intense and who can call whose bluff? You know, I mean, once you say you're going to hire new workers, that's a big deal because a lot of, you know, those people depended on those paychecks and jobs and i'm sure they were scared to to lose that so i i hope it's resolved and people can move on and everyone's happy and can just keep back get back to making with great whiskey for us for so. sure for sure and i think it, it also kind of just want to put it out there a little bit is that people have they've kind of chastised us a little bit and saying why would you talk more about the strike and and to understand is that the strike is it's mostly political at the end of the day and whether it comes down to whether you support union, whether you don't support union, we just want to report the news and we didn't want to talk about it and in, into that layer of depth. And so I just kind of want to put that out there for our listeners to kind of know that's really where we are coming from it. It's not to say that we were on one side or the other. It's, it's the fact that we're just reporting the news and we put it out there that said that the contract's out there and it's up for you to decide whether you support it or whether you don't. And we just wanted to kind of just say that. So just wanted to kind of yeah, put of that course. out there as kind of a PSA. Yeah. And of course, I mean, and we're just two bourbon podcasters. So there's, there's so much more that goes on just be, you know, that what's publicized and what's not. So it's hard to 
have a, an informed opinion, you know, based on hearsay. Yes, you get some facts from a website or whatever, but there's so much more going on behind the scenes. So it's hard to pinpoint exactly what's going on, who's at fault and who's right. You know, I'm just glad they came to an agreement and we can move on from yeah. it. And and remember what you just said right there. You're talking to two bourbon podcasters. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. so very yeah, low, very low, low, low on the totem pole. <laughs> So let's yeah. go ahead and kind of talk about it. So I think we're we are four for four now when it comes to the KDA because we have now two more additions to the Kentucky Distillers Association. So the first is that Three Boys Farm Distillery based out of Franklin County is the 49th member. And they were founded in 2012 on a 127 acre farm in Franklin County. Now, they have recently been taken over by a new owner, which is entrepreneur and former architect Walker, Walter Zausch, and he has been working aggressively to enhance the visitor center experience and the event facilities. Because anybody that has kind of known about it has known that you could, it's probably one of the few places, even before Michter's came online, that you actually go and fill your own bottle out of a barrel from there. And so they have current products that include Three Boys Bourbon, Three Boys Rye Whiskey, uh, Whiskey Thief Curated Bourbon, uh, a Whiskey Thief Rye Whiskey, and Foggy Day Flavored Whiskey. Now, the second out of there is that Coal Pick Distillery out of, I'm probably going to butcher this, is Mulehen, or sorry, Muhlenberg County is the 50th member. And they are founded by Kevin and Carrie Lawrence in 2017. And this distillery is situated on a 2,700 scenic acres just outside of what was known as the area's Paradise, Kentucky. So, yes, there actually is a Paradise, Kentucky, if you're looking for a place to kind of look at a, uh, a destination here. But the operation consists of the their own products as well as contract distillation and storage for private label clients. And their new rick house uses steel framing and a pallet rack, sorry, pallet racking system with a capacity to store around 2,300 barrels. And they are the 30th member of the craft level position that are aging less than 10,000 barrels per year. So welcome to more. Well, who's next? Who's next week? Who's getting I know, I'll it. tell you what, it's like at some point, I think we should probably apply. Yeah, it probably blew right. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about them <laughs> later. But I mean, honestly, it's a, we're four for four. We're now four weeks in. And if I'm counting correctly, that is six new members added in four weeks. And people might be saying like, what? What's the total now? Uh, well, that's it. 50 now. So we just we just eclipsed 50. I'm interested to like see like uh, somewhere like Napa or Sonoma, you know, how many... I assume they have some kind of organization like the KDA or something and like how many members are part of that. If uh, it's got to be in the hundreds, you know, so probably still room to yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably right. And I think it also just kind of goes to just show the, the growth that's in the region. And the reason I think we talk about KDA is because, you know, it's Kentucky and distillers and bourbon, which makes sense. But just know that there is a distillers association for pretty much every single state out there. So whether you're in California or New York or Florida or whatever, there is a distillers association. It's that Kentucky you know, of course, is sort of the home of a lot of this. And not only does KDA just fight for Kentucky, but the KDA is probably one of the most prominent groups that also fights for the rest of them when it comes to lobbying for the entire United States, which we might get to here at a little bit later. Yeah, they do a lot. It's a, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they really have the back of these distilleries here in the state. And like you said, they, they have a lot of power and not power, but they, they, make sure that they have a say in what goes on in, you know, our state legislation and laws and stuff. So they're, it's, you know, a real benefit to the industry really yeah. to have them for sure. Well, let's go ahead and let's talk about uh, something that is not in the KDA. 
but I'll, I'll give you a guess here, Ryan. What do you think was named the most valuable spirit brand in the world? Well, I saw the article, but uh, probably Jack Daniels. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Because yeah. uh, according to the management consulting company Interbrand, uh, in their 22nd annual report that the best global brand in 2021 is that Jack Daniels is ranked number 81 out of 100 leading global brands, which makes them the number one spirits brand in the world. And they said that they're valued at around $6.5 billion. And they have about a 4% year-on-year increase since 2020. And the owner, which is Brown Foreman, has grown their net sales by 20% in the first quarter of the fiscal year of 2022. And that was revealed last month. So onwards and upwards to That's yeah, onwards and upwards to the greatest spirit brand in the world there. Yeah, it's especially surprising with you know, that they get hit hard with the terrorists and still continue to battle with those, but to still see that kind of growth, you know, 4% year over year is crazy because there's, you know, like you said, $6 billion. So 4%, six, 4% on $6 billion. $6 billion. I'll take that. If, we could live off that. I know. For a while, I wish so. I could have those returns in my life. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's uh kudos to them. I mean, it, it's not surprising. I mean, we've been there and it's, gosh, it's a, behemoth of an operation and they got so much production going on it's incredible yeah i do remember when we were there and you got to go to the uh you know the the filtering process you get to see it go and drip through the charcoal and we went through one room and i remember i, I might have been sitting there with you ryan or sitting there with one of our patreon members and i was looking around and i was saying there's no way like there's no way because all these little drips there's no way it supplies the world of tennessee whiskey and I looked at the tour guide who we were with and I was like, like, what gives? There's, there's just no way this happens. They're like, oh, this is like one of 15 buildings. And I was like, okay, now it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. This is just for the yes, tourists. That's exactly what happened. So let's go ahead and on, on to the next thing here. And so this is one thing that kind of perplexed me because I saw this in the news coverage comes up and I thought that this should probably get more coverage than absolutely everything else because we talked about this on the opening of a news pod, or sorry, the podcast of a while ago before we started doing this, the news segment. And we talked about a, a kind of context that was going on called the distiller's grains reverse pitch. Now, what this was, was a competition to see who could do something with all the extra stillage that's being produced. That's a byproduct of making bourbon. And there's not enough cows or pigs in the area to consume all the stillage that's actually happening in Kentucky. Because if you think about it, or what they actually I took down and wrote notes of here is that for every gallon of bourbon produced, there's approximately 10 gallons of stillage that's left over. So about 96 million gallons of stillage are produced from annually around Kentucky. And so the pitch consists of six finalists from across the country, and they were tasked with offering sustainable solutions to more than the 1 billion gallons of stillage being produced by Kentucky distillers as the industry continues to grow. And one of the winners was a bioproducts LLC. And they said by using whole stillage, which is mostly water, there's an opportunity to produce at least three profitable products. And one of them was the ability to actually use it in batteries. Uh, so being able to do a few different things there, but they said that the fiber in the whole stillage can also be used to make xylose, which is a diabetic friendly sugar substitute, while the protein can be used in animal feed. And they were awarded the feature presentation, and they can give that to an audience of more than 500 distillate professionals from across Kentucky at the James B.B. Institute Industry Conference that will be happening in March of 2022. Interesting. I'm, I want to try that uh, 
zero calorie calorie sugar. What is it? What'd you call it? Uh, what was it? What did I write here? Uh, basically, they said that they were doing a diabetic friendly sweetener or something. It, yeah, it's a diabetic friendly sugar substitute is what it is. Gotcha. So, I mean, there's because there's a bunch of yeah, fiber. In, there's a bunch of fiber in the stillage. And so that's what they're they're trying to figure out. Like, what do you do with it? Yeah, I'm, I love sweets, but sugar's terrible for me. So I'm all for trying uh, whatever I can to give my cure my sweet tooth as, as long as it's not like coming in a, a pink packet that's in the middle of the the table when you get your coffee <laughs> right yeah sweet low <laughs> yeah that's no good no not you no can. bueno all right so we actually talked about this a little bit earlier this week when ryan and i went on a barrel pick to peerless and there was a really good article that came out from the spiritsbusiness.com and they talked about what's next for american whiskey now we had just mentioned a little bit ago about uh, tariffs and everything like that. And I'll give you some quotes about here because American whiskey producers have had a pretty tough couple of years, but as sanctions ease and bars begin to reopen, the future of the sector could be promising. So Brown Foreman, which is of course the owner of Jack Daniels has probably been hit the hardest that we just said. Now, when we talk about the tariffs, uh, here's, here's the number that comes to mind here is that they have lost sales worth around $70 million a year since 2018. And it appears that Jack Daniels has shown to maintain its price and absorb the tariff costs in most of these situations, which has led to arch rival Jim Beam to do the exact same. Now, volumes of U.S. whiskey shipments as tracked by the as tracked by Discus were down significantly less than the value. So 21% in the U.K. and 7, 7% in the EU between 2018 and 2020. Now, there's another one here is that our good friends over at Wilderness Trail, uh, Shane and Pat over there, uh, they actually had started distilling and making their brand back in 2005. However, they have been unable to swallow the tariff increase, and that has added a 14 to $21 price hike to its UK price. But things are also on the rise domestically. So David Dystra, who's the head of sales and marketing at MGP Ingredients, uh, also said that history tells us that drinking trends in the U.S. around 20 to 25 years at a time. And at this point, we're about 10 years into the cycle which suggests we've got 10 to 15 more years of growth still to go. And according to Dystra, he said that whiskey consumption had actually peaked back in the 1970s at around 40 million cases. But that was when the legal drinkers were numbered around 122 million. Today, we have around 230 million legalized drinkers, and we're only at 28 million cases. So that kind of just goes to show you that we still have more room to grow, but we also see that it kind of goes hand in hand with what's happening in the tariff world and what's also happening in just the growth of American whiskey category in general. Yeah. And I mean, you do have a lot more competition now than in the seventies, you know, with tequilas, seltzers, whatever, craft beers, wine, yeah, true, all that, but still, uh, yeah, I just, I see 10 to 15, you know, some people say 30, um, 30 more years of growth is what they're seeing. Um, especially if the tariffs go, you know, if those go away, but, um, yeah, it's, we've talked about it before. It's just hard to see it slowing down, but there's a lot of whiskey being made right now. So a lot of people think that this is, there is 10 to 15 years of growth going to happen. So a lot of people with big pocketbooks. So let's hope they're right. Well, Cause, uh, we got about, uh, I don't know what, 
six million reasons we need it to work <laughs> yeah, out. About, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, if we have another PSA out there, it's that uh, please, everybody, please keep drinking bourbon for another 10 to 15 years so so Ryan and I can achieve some dreams over here. But yeah, I mean, you're totally right that uh, the whiskey market is growing. And I think that everybody also saw another headline this week that uh, you know, truly is destroying millions of cases of hard seltzer. So we see that market got flooded and what they have to do about it. And that's, but that's a little bit different because seltzer actually has a shelf life and they have to try to figure out how do they maintain that without giving it a discount. Now, whiskey is a completely different scenario here. And I'd love to be able to see this continue to grow and we're still going to see it grow. We just have to make sure it doesn't get completely saturated by by everything in the market. But you're right. I think we do have a lot more choice now than it was back then, because back then it was what old crow, old granddad, old X, old Y. Like that was that was kind of what you had back <laughs> right. then. Yeah, and you know, American whiskey and bourbon is just it's 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 a story. It's there's so much more connection to the brands than seltzers and there's a there's a community around it there's there's so much around it that i've always said that people don't have high noon tasting parties <laughs> you know they're not like not yet not until really you, started. you know they're, they're exactly and it's um oh no there's just something unique and like american about whiskey and it's uh our generation and younger has caught on to that and even older than us and I just don't see them moving on. I mean, they'll try other things. I try other things because sometimes you get, you know, disgruntled with bourbon and what's going on and limited releases and camping and this and that. But I still come back to it because every time I sip it, it's good. And when I have friends over, that's what they want to try. And there's just, I don't know. I just don't see it uh, slowing down anytime soon. For sure. Well, I want to go ahead and kind of keep moving on and try to uh, stay on time here a little bit because we've still got a lot of news to go through. Plus, we even still have to go through the the bourbon news. But I think the one thing that is kind of random and slash probably, probably unique is that uh, anybody that has never heard of NFTs or non-fungible tokens, this is a kind of new form of how we start putting the blockchain into actual real hard uh, physical goods here is that uh, recently... There has been a rare whiskey cask auction that went for 2.3 million and a non-fungible barrel of a 1991 Macallan Scotch whiskey set the auction record last Friday, nabbing $2.3 million on an NFT marketplace called MetaCask. And this sale surpasses the previous cask sale record of 574,000 for a similar barrel at an auction house in Bonham's last August. Now, this edition also came bundled with the digital art from Trevor Jones. And the pseudonyms goes from, or sorry, the pseudonym for the buyer goes by the name of Old Cask, who outbid two other bidders that were active in digital whiskey investments. And this is from a PR representative told by Coindesk. The company declined to identify the buyer, but the NFT serves as a digital title of the deed for the cask of the whiskey, and it was minted on the Ethereum blockchain. Now I know Ryan, that might have gone um, over your head. There was that was that too much to take in. Yeah. Your head just explode a little bit. Can we get back to high noon tasting <laughs> parties? That's I know more. The, the thing is, is like I find this super fascinating because uh, the idea of NFTs is is something that we might see change in the in the just in the the realm of what we do in every single day life. I mean, one thing that's even crossed my mind at one point is that the fact that we could create a podcast and put an NFT next to it and we only sell one copy of it and that one person owns that one copy of it, but we retain a basically a 
a retainer from it. So say, say we sell it for a dollar, uh, but we get one penny for every transaction that it goes through. So as it keeps going through, like we retain, you know, a penny for every single transaction. So there's been ideas of like what NFT and blockchain and what this could mean to the future of recording artists and recording, uh, you know, music artists and everything like that. And so we look at this as say, I, I look at this and I just think like, oh my gosh, like this is tied to something that's completely different. And I've even thought about like, how could blockchain even change the secondary market? It could change what it looks like to go from the distillery to the uh, to the retailer and that everything that you do has to go through some sort of digital transaction. And this could completely change counterfeits in the secondary and stuff like that too. Um, I want to bring on somebody at a, at a later date to kind of go on this in more in depth, but I think it's a, it's a really cool idea and we'll just have to kind of see how this plays out at this point because NFTs and people that are paying, you know, millions of dollars for basically a, an online GIF are, you know, kind of it's random but hey people are doing it right now so we'll see what happens yeah i don't know enough to comment <laughs> uh but uh all yeah. right well we'll see you sounds we'll exciting you comment on the next here <laughs> and that's that single barrel whiskey on drizzly has expanded by 12 percent in 2021 and three of the top five brands are bourbons which is the largest whiskey subcategory on drizzly by far holding around 37 percent share in 2021 to date and all five of these sit at higher price points, indicating that single barrel growth is likely tied to the ongoing premiumization of trends in the whiskey and spirits category. So here we go. Here's the top five. Number one, probably not too exciting, but we all figured it was probably going to happen, is Blanton's single barrel. And number two, Four Rows of single barrel. Number three, maybe not expected, Henry McKenna single barrel bourbon, the 10-year-old bottle and bond. Number four, the Belvany 15-year, 15-year-old, sorry, the Belvany 15-year-old sherry cask single barrel scotch. And number five is the Jack Daniels single barrel select Tennessee whiskey. So that's where all the Henry McKenna's are. <laughs> are on Drizzly. The whole time, you just had to go there to find them. <laughs> yeah, it's not surprising. I mean, single barrels are the perfect product because you can always say, this is this barrel and it's never going to be replicated. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, I, people love scarcity. As you say, it's, it's, it's a, a perfect it's a, product, right? It is. Yep. People love scarcity. Well, let me tell you if, uh, if this next one will be scarce, because I thought I'm going to only including this as our, one of our, our, one of the final kind of news pieces here is that because it's a fun one is that Owen Corning, so sorry, Owen's Corning, they introduced a bourbon, as the 2022 shingle color of the year as their newest color in their true definition duration designer colors collection shingle line and is the sixth color to be named the shingle color of the year as bourbon delivers a versatile smooth finish and straight up style to the home's roof <laughs> no way. It's, it's, is... it's way it's way ryan that just happened <laughs> All right, next topic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I want to give a real quick shout out to James B. Bean Distilling Company because they have partnered with QED Hospitality to bring what's called the Kitchen Table Restaurant to the newly renovated campus in Clermont. And it's going to be an authentic culinary experience that truly exemplifies the Southern hospitality. And it's led by nationally renowned chef Brian Landry. It's going to be a full-service restaurant that has an indoor and outdoor dining, including a covered porch where guests can enjoy a meal and bar bites while sipping on a cocktail and taking in the beautiful sweeping views of the distillery grounds. So welcome to uh, the hospitality scene there, James Beam. Been waiting for you. Yeah, it's uh, it's about time. I mean, you know, 
Bardstown Bourbon was one of the first to like elevate the culinary experience there in Bardstown and then will it follow suit? Now you got everyone else has kind of fallen suit and it's, we need that. It's like, cause everybody's, you know, we have great restaurants in Louisville, but everybody's staying in Louisville. They're eating in Louisville and they're going to Bardstown for the day and then coming back. And now we can offer, you know, you, there's a lot of high-end people coming in and they want elevated experiences. So I'm glad to see Jim Beam get on. For sure. Board. I shouldn't say welcome. I mean, they've, they've always been great at hospitality. Uh, I just want to say, I just oh, want to say, yeah. you know, welcome to bringing in a, you know, a restaurant, a full, a full bar yeah, yeah. and full restaurant, everything like that. Because I think that's, it's something that everybody is now jumping on board with. So. Yeah. People, you know, love your brands. They want to spend the day there. They want to. And so it just makes sense. Take my money. Take my money, is that what they're saying? That's, that's right. All right. So our last headline when it comes to the news is that Discus, or the Distilled, Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, they have submitted a detailed report, which is actually 66 pages to be exact, to the United States Trade Representative identifying key foreign trade barriers impeding the U.S. distilled spirits exports. Now, member companies are actually doing exports around 130 countries worldwide. And with total U.S. spirits exports in 2020, we're valued at near $1.4 billion. Now, this report reflects the range of trade barriers to U.S. spirits, uh, including retaliatory tariffs, import policies, market access barriers, technical barriers, and sanitary and phytosanitary and standards-related measures. Now, I'm not going to read the entire whole thing because it's 66 pages long, but there was one good thing that I took out of there when I was kind of skimming through in the first, like, four pages because I wasn't going to go beyond that. Uh, and that was, that said, like, due to the continued application of retail, retail, sorry, retaliatory tariffs from 2018 to 2020, the U.S. spirits exports were down 23% to $1.4 billion, and American whiskey exports were down 29% to $846 million. And American whiskey drives U.S. exports and accounts for 61% of total American spirits exports. So that just kind of gives you an idea of like what's out there and what you, uh, you could assume from it. Yeah, it's got to get these tariffs out of the way. It's gonna. It, it hinders growth. I mean, it's terrible. Like it, it's just something we have to get yeah. out of here. Whether it's tariffs, but I mean, there was like I said, there was so much that was going on. Sixty six pages. Um, if you want to read more about it, you can actually go to a short link that I created uh, at brbn.at slash exports, and you can also get that with the link in our show notes as well. So. Make sure you go and check that out, but stay tuned as we'll be back here very shortly with some bourbon news. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon, and that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. 
Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to start talking about what's happening in bourbon news over the past week. And the first one is, uh, I don't know if it's really bourbon, actually, it's, uh, it's actually more along the lines of beer but this is something that is in collaboration with Four Roses and Brooklyn Brewery because they have announced the 2021 edition of the Brooklyn Black Ops. Now, this is a limited edition beer release that was aged in Four Roses small batch bourbon barrels and hand-selected by their master distiller, who we've had on the show plenty of times, Brent Elliott, and it's beginning to appear on store shelves across the country right now. Now, this vintage, actually should I say always, is the Brooklyn Black Ops. It is a Russian Imperial Stout, which I always enjoy. And uh, they have you know, notes of cocoa nibs and rich vanilla aromatics, uh, but they have a ABV this year of 12.9%, which is close to what i like like oh. like i know you say whoa like i'm i don't know what it is but it's like 14 14 is like where i i like I, i'm like that's the stout level that i need there it's like i can either have this stout or a bottle of like because <laughs> both are going to be the same thing <laughs> it achieves it achieves the same thing at the same result <laughs> But yeah. this is also the first vintage that's going to be canned. Um, these limited-release beers are going to be sold in 16-ounce four-packs, and they'll be available in limited quantities wherever Brooklyn Brewery is available. And there will be about 4,000 cases that will be sold throughout the United States with a suggested retail price of $20. So there you go. Get awesome. You, get your What's beer. A, what makes a Russian, a Russian stout versus... Just a regular stout? Imperial or whatever. You know... You're, you're talking stuff. to somebody who just drinks them but doesn't know much about them. Like, I wish I could, I <laughs> wish I could tell you. But At least you didn't try to lie your hey, way out of it. Remember, we're a bourbon podcast. <laughs> we're not a beer podcast. Like, we only, that's right. We only fake so much. Exactly. So we'll talk about another distillery that's actually not too far from where we live, and that's Jephthah Creed. And they are releasing their first bottled and bond rye bourbon. Now, this rye bourbon has been aged at least four years in a single season in a bonded barrel barn. And it's, of course, 100 proof. It has a mash bill of 75% bloody butcher corn, 20% malted rye, and 5% malted barley. And all of the bloody butcher corn was estate grown on their own farmland within 10 miles of the distillery. However, they did not mention what the price was or anything like that that we could find on the press release. So take that for what it is. And uh, if you're a big fan of bloody butcher corn and things that Jephthah Creed has come out before, then probably should go and take a look at it. Yeah, sounds good. I I remember we had some a couple of years ago and it, it was young, but it had some promising notes, but it, it was only like two years old. So it was clearly young, but it had some promising stuff. So I'd be interested yep. to try it. So let's fast forward two years and kind of see what we have there. So who knows when we, when we get a chance to try it on a next whiskey quickie. So stay tuned for that one. Now, one of our other headlines for the night was talking about Blue Run Spirits. Now, they just came out with a, another release, which is their Blue sorry Blue Run Kentucky Straight High Rye Bourbon. Now, this one's a little bit different because they have been typically sourcing from 
other Kentucky distilleries that are 13 to 14 years old, which we kind of know what where that's coming from. And Jim Brutledge was kind of there as their, I guess you could say, liquid advisor, I think it was what it was called. And they just came out, they, their, their Golden Rye, which was in collaboration with Barstown Bourbon Company. Now, they have just released their first bourbon where Jim Rutledge was their, I guess you could say, their uh, contract still master, I guess you could say. I don't know what the right word is here. Um, here's the thing is that Jim Rutledge, is a, he's an icon in the industry. Like, absolutely everybody knows who he is. Like, everybody respects him. And he brought four roses from the ruts that it was until the, the powerhouse that it is today. And if you want to know more about Jim Rutledge, I think you can go back to episodes 11 and 12. Like that's how long ago that we had Jim Rutledge on the show to kind of talk about what he did and what he, you know, what he did for four roses back then. Uh, but just to kind of give you some idea here is that this is the first blue run product that Jim Rutledge was overseeing the production. This actually was happened at Castle and Key. So as Ryan just said right there, um, this was distilled from 65% yellow corn, 30% rye, and 5% malted barley. And only 100 barrels were chosen for this bottling, and each were toasted to a number four char and aged in Frankfurt and Bardstown, Kentucky. And it was bottled at 111 proof and sold for $90. And at this point, as far as we know, this thing is pretty much sold out. So that is a uh, anomaly at best to kind of see how fast these guys have driven or sorry, driven up to stardom here. Yeah, that's uh impressive. Um 20,000 bottles sold out in so I'm assuming, you know, at 4 years old there's probably 200 at least 200 bottles, maybe more cuz it's at 111 proof. Mm -hmm. So even more than that, so that's impressive. Okay. Somebody's got the Midas touch over there and that Midas touch is a, uh, a blue butterfly. And I'll tell you what, Ryan, we, I haven't, we got this bottle. I haven't had the chance to open it yet and we're going to save it for whiskey quickie, but I've got a like hats off to them. It is some of the most immaculate packaging I've ever seen. Like it just looks, it just, it, it's, it oozes class. Like when I look at it, I, I saw it and I was just like, damn, this, this looks really good. Yeah, I mean, they got what the guy from Nike behind it. Mm -hmm. um, I really like the, uh, you know, the Golden Rye Batch. I think we did a, didn't we do a review recently for that? Probably hasn't aired yet, but uh, really like that one. And so I'm interested to try this because uh, I haven't had, I had some Castle and Key distillate, you know, when it was two years old, two to three, and I wasn't the biggest fan. So maybe it's made a turn, you know, at, Four, so I'm excited to try it out. And who knows, Jim Rutledge was there, like pulling levers yeah. and stuff. So that that could have had a whole something to do with it. Yeah, it's reminds me of like the Cat in the Hat. You know, he's on his he's on his his, his car and he's like pulling levers, like making this thing go. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that place is magical. It's really cool if you haven't been. It's people need to go. It's a, oh for sure. It's a really cool distillery and whole setup. I mean, it's it's funny you say that. It's one of those things that when people always ask, like, oh, I'm coming to Kentucky and I need to go and visit some things. And literally right now, if you're coming to Kentucky, you cannot get on a bourbon tours, like literally anywhere, Buffalo Trace, Woodford, oh, no. wherever. However, if you're in the know and you want to find something that's really cool, go to Castle and Key because it is like walking through history. I think you'll be amazed if you've never done it before. Yeah, it's the perfect balance of history with new modern architecture and everything design it's it's a wonderful place but 
interesting thing about Blue Run is that they, I think they've moved everything to Barstow Bourbon Company, though. So it's kind of interesting, you know, they have this Castle and Q release, but they're moving towards Barstow Bourbon Company. So, so I guess if you want to, if we'll have to if dig into a one-off release, here you go. Get get on board. Yep. Makes it even I more know. rare, even though it's sold out already. For sure. <laughs> and so we've all heard of A. Uh, H. Hirsch before. If you, it's a legendary brand. Um, but Hirsch selected whiskeys was kind of revived not too long ago and they have announced the debut of their new single barrel Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey and they were doing this in honor of bourbon heritage Munch. but however this is the brand's first ever single barrel to hit the market they had a limited batch of just 57 barrels and they were aged a minimum of six years in Bardstown Kentucky in new American oak barrels now this is also non-chill filtered and has the mash bill of 72 percent corn 13 percent rye and 15 percent malted barley and it has a barrel entry proof of around 62.5% and has a suggested retail price of $90. Now, here's a quote, and I'm going to read this straight from the press release because, honestly, I saw this and I was kind of like, okay. But it says that, quote-unquote, the single barrel release is reminiscent of the 400 barrels A.H. Hirsch commissioned, yet even more limited and coveted than before with just 57 barrels, says the American whiskey lead at Hodling & Company, Louis Raval Ball. So I thought that was a little interesting, but you know, whatever sells. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you got the history, why not? <laughs> I mean, play off of it. anybody, whether it. if anybody doesn't know, you can go read, there's a book by Chuck Cowdery and it's called the best bourbon you're never going to try, or it's like the greatest bourbon you're ever going to taste. It's something like that. And it talks about the history of AA church. Now I've had AA church gold label or gold foil. It's okay. Like don't get it twisted. It's not the greatest thing that you're ever going to try in your life. However, I thought that that quote was a little misleading to say that the 400 barrels that made age Hirsch that where people were paying like $13,000 for a blue wax right now, they're like, oh, this is even better because it's 57 barrels of just six year stuff. Um, you know, whatever, but well, might get people yep. to try it, but hey, maybe not. If it'll lead, if, if it sells and it's a story, it'll go last story for the night. Is one that we kind of talked about a little bit because Michter's will start shipping its 20-year Kentucky Straight bourbon to distributors and importers this November. And this 2021 edition will mark the first release of Michter's 20 since 2019. And this proof is 114.2 and has a suggested retail price of $750. Now, the one cool thing I thought about this was that the media image shows that it comes in a newer and fancier box than ever. So at least you have that going for you if you can find it on the shelves or if you can pull in a few favors. Yeah, you need a new Matrix 20. It's almost gone. Everybody's been, uh, every time somebody comes here, we're like, let me try that mm -hmm. Matrix 20. It's almost gone. Nobody wants so. to try the barrel picks. Here they we don't go. want to try the barrel picks. They don't want to try the regular stuff. Everybody's like, let me go ahead and just get the most expensive thing on your shelf. I'd love to be able to try that. Now, they sent us a Matrix 10 bourbon and rye you think they'll send us a 20 to, to review on i love Boogie? joe i love andrea i love dan mckee i love the entire crew at, at Michter's, and i will never say no if they do that but i'm not gonna sit there and uh, hold my breath if that ever happens either yeah me neither i'll take the Michter's 10s yeah those and we'll good. keep reviewing those all day long uh because i swear if you send us a Michter's yeah. 20 i i can probably tell you what we're gonna do is we're just gonna give it three thumbs up because it's always been fascinating yep Absolutely. Sure. Well, I tell you what, Ryan, that's going to do it for this week in bourbon for the week of October 29th, 2021. I think we had a lot of great topics and honestly, we went a lot longer than I thought we would. And I'll tell you what, just kind of goes to show you there's a ton of bourbon news happening every single week. Yeah. 
according to that report, it's just going to keep getting bigger. So we'll have more more news every week. <laughs> and with that, we'll uh, we'll see you here next week with yet another again edition of This Week in Bourbon. Cheers, everybody. We'll see you all later.